0: we're headed to the Appalachian Mountains we love you guys Richard come on make him welcome
1: praise God it is good to be in the house of the Lord this morning it is good to belong to a congregation who supports missions it is good to be among a people who will take the blessing that God has given them and share that blessing with others you know the glory of God or the blessings of God go far beyond our doors, and we need to reach a lost and a dying world. I, I was sharing in this morning's uh, message about the Wild group going to New Harmony, Indiana, and I, and I was trying to share with them how that was a life-changing trip, not that trip, But a trip to New Harmony, Indiana, back 40 plus years ago, because that's where I asked Sharon to marry me. We were kids; we had no idea what the future held for us. All I know was she was good looking. (laughs) I'd ask her daddy for the permission, his permission, to ask her for her hand. That was uh, putting my life in risk, but it was worth the price, and I remember getting down on one knee and promising her things that really wasn't mine to give. I promised her my future. I promised her my love. I didn't know what the future held, and I don't know. Looking back now, you know, if, if she would have said yes, if she knew all the pathways that our life would have taken us down. Not every journey is an easy journey, but it's worth the trip. We went to uh, Yellowstone not too terribly long ago and we we exited out on the Northeast Gate. Bear Pass, I think is the name of that exit up there where they have the lights that say they close the road at nine o'clock at night because of Bear's it's not a good place if you're thinking on about having any car trouble or anything like that. And we we, we headed through, uh, you know, that portion of, uh, of South Dakota and Wyoming, and, and the roads were so windy and so crooked, and, and you'd go so far, and, and it was open-range territory, and there would be cattle grazing out on the side of the road, and have to wait for them. And th- these are state highways. These, these are, you know, like out, out in front here, you know, it, it's a different world. <clears throat> but this one particular mountain that we went up, I mean, I don't remember how many switchbacks there were, but back and forth and starts off slowing you down to 25 and then 35 and then 20 and then 15. And then there was one that said 10 and I'm thinking it can't get no worse. And the next one said five miles per hour. And you know what? They weren't kidding because there was no room for error and there was no place to go. We do not know often the, li- the road that life will take us down. But we have to trust. in trusting God. <clears throat> Sorry, I've about ran out of voice from this morning. A few, number of years ago, Sharon and I went to the Grand Canyon. We, we went to... I had a business trip that was in Las Vegas. And when we got there in in Vegas, the uh, trip or the meeting that we, I I was out there to attend to the business got wrapped up a lot quicker than what we had thought. So we were, I was thinking, well, we'll, we'll come home early. But then my boss made this great offer. He says, Hey, since you're out here with with Sharon, if you kids want to go and see the sites or do something, feel free, take the next two or three days and and, and the company's going to cover the tab. They already had the, and I'm thinking, Oh, this is wonderful. This is a blessing. So I go and tell Sharon, Hey, we got two or three days that, that we can vacation or recreate out here. Here in, in a place we've never been before. So <clears throat> she immediately started researching what we could do, and she found this little company that would pick you up at the hotel, take you to Boulder City Airport, you'd get on a small plane, and they'd take you to the Grand Canyon. We'd never been to the Grand Canyon before. So I'm standing there on the south rim of the Grand Canyon, and everybody around me is going, ooh, and ah, oh, and how wonderful this is. And I'm sitting, or standing there, and I'm just not getting it. I'm not feeling it. I mean, it's a big hole in the ground. It is a soil erosion problem gone on, on steroids. You know, it, it's not speaking to me. Everybody else was enjoying it, but I couldn't enjoy it. I couldn't understand it. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and so I, I, I'm marveling at the fact that, that you know, there's got to be something about this that, that draws people to it. What am I missing? And I, and I asked Sharon, I said, what makes this so so grand. And she says, It's just so huge. And she said, Did you see the helicopter flying down there? And I told her, No, I, I didn't see the helicopter. And she said, Do you see the people on, on the mules riding along the, the edge of the river down there? Well, no, I didn't. I, per, perhaps it was the flight in the airplane that had, had, had kind of acclimated me to seeing things at, at, a, at a significant altitude or distance. But at that particular point, point, moment in time, I wasn't understanding the vastness of the Grand Canyon. She pointed to a signboard that says, you know, the ones that say, you are here, and then it tells you how far it is to the next feature. And some of those were 20 miles away and still part of the Grand Canyon. And suddenly, armed with that new knowledge, I began to think, you know what? This thing is pretty grand. It's big. And then you begin to understand the vastness of it, you begin to understand and, and appreciate the beauty of it, and it turns into to a, a wonderful experience. But it all is hinging on your perspective, the vantage point from which you view it. My grandson, back when he was probably two and a half or three years old, loved to go fishing more than anything. We couldn't hardly get him to keep his pants on. He liked to run around naked all the time. But, but he really, really, really loved to go fishing. And every time Papaw would go to his house, it's, Papaw, take me fishing. Papaw, take me fishing. And so this one day in particular, it was very, very hot outside. And I'm telling him, Harrison, it may not be a good day. We might not enjoy going out fishing today. But he kept you know, saying, take me fishing, take me fishing. All right, I relented. We went to, the, to their garage and got a couple of our rods, and, and we, we headed out towards the lake, and just about the time we stepped outside, he asked me, Papa, are you an outside kind of guy or an inside kind of guy? And I said, well, Harrison, I, I think I'm probably more of an outside kind of guy. Me too, Papa. And then about that time, the heat of the sun began to bear down on him, and he really began to understand what it was that we were going to be up against, and he stops. Hands me back the, the rod and says, Papa, now that I think about it, I'm an inside kind of guy. And back to the air conditioning he went. The heat had changed his perspective. The vantage point from which he view, viewed the, the day of going fishing. One more tale and then we're off to the scripture. <clears throat> I, I was talking to a guy who was talking about how his wife didn't seem to understand him that he was on the bathroom scale and he was trying to just, you know, check his weight. And when she walked by and caught a glimpse of him, he was standing there holding his stomach in. And she started laughing at him and she told him it does absolutely no good to hold your stomach in when you're standing on the bathroom scale. And he said, I just looked at her and told her, if I have any uh, hope of seeing the numbers, it sure does help, you know, so (laughs) it, it is perspective. Sometimes we don't understand the need for a particular thing. I have a friend who has contracted COVID. His whole family has COVID. They're doing well, they, there were some, some iffy days, but they're doing well. And so I checked in with him every once in a while, to make sure that they've got everything, plenty of supplies, everything's going okay, you're doing all right, you know, we're praying for you, kind of thing. And he, he told me, he says, Rich, what is going on in this world today? This world is going crazy. There's so many things happening. What, what is God doing? What, what, what is the devil doing? What is happening to this world that we live in? So I made a brief list of a few things that, that's going on. Maybe you forgot about some of these. This isn't an exhaustive list. This is just a few things that I recall. <clears throat> At the beginning of the year... In January, we had the carryover from from December of the Australian brush fires. Do you remember that? They were huge. 47 million acres were consumed in those brush fires. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle stepped down from being royals. What an oddity. What a strange thing. The impeachment trial began in January. Later on, we, we heard uh, about a new thing we had never ever learned about or faced before, a virus called COVID-19. And we learned more about coronavirus and and social distancing and hand washing and hand sanitizing, shelter in place orders. Many of us lost jobs. Those of us who still kept jobs learned how to do them differently. There was a global recession. The stock market saw the worst drop ever on March 9th of this year. New terms like social distancing. Holidays were canceled. Mother's Day. Sharon was very angry about that. Mother's Day canceled. Easter, what do we do at Easter? Not a whole lot. Churches were asked not to hold services. People who lost loved ones were denied funerals. People who had weddings planned and other large family gatherings either had to alter their plans, cancel them, or postpone them. Mask mandates were passed travel bans, quarantines, and it still goes on even today. Later in the year, we had the Black Lives protest, and and, and all the impact that that had. Fires on the West Coast, fires in Colorado, fires in Wyoming, and, and, and how devastating those fires in California really were. Hurricanes, tropical storms, and then more hurricanes, so much so that we've exhausted the English alphabet and and are well through are well into the Greek alphabet just trying to come up with names for all of these storms. And then we have this crazy election that comes up. And so it's not uncommon for us to kind of sit back, take a breath, and say, What is going on? Why do we go through trials? Why do we face temptations? Why do we, as God's chosen, have troubles in our life? If you got your Bible this morning and you want to turn with me, I'm going to begin in Matthew chapter 3. Just take a couple of verses there and then go into Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up, Out of the water, at that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And then a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. Verse Uh, Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. In Mark's gospel, there's an additional word added to that verse that says, Immediately Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tested. Why immediately? Why a test? What is different about this particular day, this particular event that calls for the, the tempter to move so immediately. Well, it's because Jesus had just received a word from, from our, our heavenly father. Jesus had just been said, and I, and I know that I, I revert back to the King James, but that's just what's been in my brain for so many years. Jesus was, was told, this is my beloved son. And in him, I am well pleased. Now, the question that is here before us and the question that was being raised by the tempter is that will Jesus believe the Word of God and will he cleave to the Word of God? Even when there is no proof, even without evidence, even without any further confirmation, can we, can Jesus, can all of us believe and cleave to the word of God? That's the question that's before us today. Temptation is a matter of perspective. The tempter has his, his take on it, and what's it? It's to separate you from God. It's to cause you to disbelieve God's word. It's to to cause you to go outside of God's will. It's to separate you from the body of Christ. It's to even sometimes use scripture to direct you into the wrong path. It is to separate. Why does God allow us to have testing and temptations in our life? It's because it builds us. It strengthens us. It causes us to have to demonstrate our faith. It causes us to have to stand fast and prove that we are taking God literally at his word. So the question is, can we believe? On to the temptation. Keep things from falling here. The setting here was in the desert, in the wilderness without any source of bread, without much water. And sometimes we are, find, find ourselves in, in the wilderness and, and, and prone to temptation, but it's not just in the wilderness when temptations come. Temptations can come when you're in the garden, in a lush garden, as they did in the Garden of Eden. Temptations can come when you're on your rooftop in the evening and just reclining and, and you look across and you see something that is tempting. Temptations can come in, in all many facets and, and on all forms. Here in the desert, the tempter presents the Lord. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, then tell us these stones to become bread. You know, the tempter likes to take advantage of our vulnerabilities, when we are susceptible to the sin. When he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, the, the tempter comes to him and he says, basically, why are you suffering? Why are you here you're in the wilderness, man. You're hungry, you need bread. There's no bread in sight. There are stones, just command the stones to become bread. Is there anything inherently wrong with commanding stones to become bread? Jesus later on would use the, the miracle to feed the multitude, would he not? Where he would take the five loaves and two fish to feed over 5,000 men. So it would not be beyond Jesus' ability to take something and make something more out of it than what it actually is. Could he have commanded the stones to become bread? The answer is yes. But Jesus' approach to this is, you know what? I would rather suffer the pains of hunger. I would rather be on the path to dying here in the desert than to deviate off the road, off the direction, off the plan that God has for my life. So he elects not to take the, the, the tempter's bait, not to take the lure. You know, the tempter designs the lure to be attractive. Even Harrison knows when we go fishing that the lure has to look sharp. It has to behave like a real fish to make the other fish be interested in it. But concealed within the lure is a hook. And once the hook is embedded, then sin will lead you to paths you do not want to go. It'll keep you in places where you do not want to stay. It will cost you more than you ever thought you would be willing to spend. A hook has the ability to guide you and direct you and turn your head and and set your direction in a way that you do not want it to go. Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God, quoting from Deuteronomy 8.3. Here we have a reference in Deuteronomy that, that, that God is preparing the nation of Israel to go into the promised land. Forty years they have been on the backside of the desert, and now, now they're getting ready to cross. Moses is, 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 is basically backing up out of the picture. He's not going to cross the river with them but he's wanting to to prepare them and God is giving Moses words to speak to them. And he says, remember that time back when we first left Egypt. You had seen the deliverance of God. You had seen how Pharaoh's army was destroyed by the Red Sea. You had seen the plagues that they fell Egypt. You had seen how the, they, they had, the Egyptians had given us the, the spoils of the land to help us to expedite our exit. You had seen all these provisions take place for you. But then once we crossed over the, the Red Sea now we're in a position of where you, we need to count on God's word and upon his promise. And when you didn't see food, you come to me and you said, oh, that we were back in Egypt. Our pots were always filled with meat back when we were in Egypt. Sometimes our perspective of how grand the good old days takes away the truth of what we were enduring. They were enslaved. They were in bondage. Their future was questionable. It was the deliverance of God that led them from this place of bondage into a New land, into a land of promise, into a land that flows with milk and honey, but all they were had the, uh, the the audacity to come in and say, "We gotta have something to eat, and if you don't feed us, we're going back to Egypt." God responds and says, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. What God is trying to convince them of is, you have to pay attention to what I have said to you. You have to cleave and believe to the promises of God. You cannot take it lightly. You cannot plan on standing on your own strength, on your own spirituality, on your own merit. It is by his grace we stand, and upon his word we find our foundation. Oh, my. Matthew 4, chapter, or chapter 4, verse 5. Then the devil took him to a holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. You are the son of God, he said. Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command your angels concerning you, and they will lift up their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Satan is is quoting Psalms chapter 91. 91 has a lot more to say. And if you haven't read it lately, I would encourage you to read it again because it says though a thousand fall at your left hand and 10,000 fall at your right, do not be afraid for it will not come near thee. It says that you will travel on serpents. It goes through and it gives you great promises of protection, great promises of provision. This is the word of God. But here he extracts it out of context and applies it incorrectly. The word of God is truth. The word of God is life. The word of God is blessing to our soul. But if it's applied incorrectly, then it can be harmful to us. A number of years ago, I was in an accident and I broke my neck. My future was uncertain. My ability to earn a living for my family was uncertain. I didn't know where God was leading me. I was trusting and believing God for a miracle. I would pray day and night, oh God, heal me. God, deliver me from this trap. God, you know, you have plans to prosper and not to harm us. Show me those plans. Show me your direction. And my well-meaning friends and and family in the church would come and say, brother, there's got to be sin in the camp. You would have received your healing if there was not sin in the camp. I spent countless hours before the throne of grace saying, oh God, if there is sin in the camp, then open my eyes. Let me see it. Let me deal with it. Let me take the this thing from me." (sighs) Then they would say, a man who does not provide for his family is worse than an infidel. That is Scripture. But let me tell you something. Scripture applied incorrectly can do serious harm to the people that you actually are intending to do good towards. Be careful how you apply it. Apply it with love. Apply it with grace. Reassure them of the promises of God. All right. If you are God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so you will not strike your foot against the stone. Basically, he's saying, if you're the son of God, prove it. Here's a chance to, 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 to orchestrate a miracle God isn't going to allow you to suffer. And and, and look, I mean, if people were to see this and they were to see that you've received this miracle, then it gives further confirmation. But it's not the plan of God. It's not the direction of God. It's not where, where Jesus knew that he should go. Jesus answered him and says, It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test, Deuteronomy 6.16. In this particular verse of Scripture in Deuteronomy, that's pointing back to a time in the life of Israel, God had begun to provide for them. He was given them meat. He was given them manna. He was providing their every need. The Israelites had moved from one camp, one location. They had left the Valley of Sin, and they moved to the next location. And while they were there, they looked around, and they didn't see any water. And they're thirsty. And they're saying, oh, if we don't get water, if you do not provide a miracle for us, then we're going to stone Moses, and we're going to go back to to Egypt. We're turning our back on God. And God says, do not put me to the test. Do not challenge him. Do not try to force his hand. Do not try to put him into a box to leverage the miracle that you're hoping to receive. Trust God at his word. Trust him despite your being uncomfortable. Trust him despite the fact that you're hungry. Trust him even though there isn't evidence to prove that you have reason to. Trust him. And again, Jesus says to him, Oh, I've already read that. It it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. On to the next test, Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. It says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. I don't know how this was accomplished. I I, I don't know how the, the tempter was able to show him all the vast kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. Basically, what he's offering him here is a shortcut. Jesus, you don't have to walk the path of the cross. You don't have to go to Calvary. You, you can just bow down to me right here, and I will give you all these kingdoms of the world. All the praise, all the splendor, all the wealth, All but it's not the path that God has chosen. When we walk before God, we need to walk with integrity even though the tempter may come to us and show us a shortcut, show us a way to where we might get to the end result, but not have to wait for the proper time, not have to endure the hardship. I've told the story before about when I was a little boy and there was a rose bush that was in front of the house where I grew up and my mom loved roses. And so I was so eager and so wanting to give my mama one of these beautiful roses, but I went out to check the rose bush and none of them were in bloom yet they were all just buds and I'm thinking that's not a problem I can fix that and so I took my little fingers and I stuck inside the bud and I began to try to expand the rose trying to make it into a flower so I could take it in and show it to my mom and say here's a flower for you and it didn't turn out very well at all it was not what God had intended it to be We need to be careful with the directions that we walk, the direction that we go. We need to be careful because God has a purpose and a plan for each and every life. And we need to find what that plan and purpose is. And if there are hardships in the road, if there are difficult places that we need to walk through, then we suck it up. And we say, God, I'm going to trust in you no matter what. If I die here in the desert out of hunger, I am still not going to command stones to become bread. If I find a shortcut that means I don't have to suffer, I don't have to go to the cross, I don't have to lay down my life, all I have to do is bow down to Satan, then brothers and sisters, do not bow. The Bible tells us of three Hebrew children who were taken into Babylon and then there's a a, a statue that was erected to King Nebuchadnezzar. And with a trump sound, everybody was supposed to bow down to the image of gold. And three young men decided they weren't going to bow down. Nebuchadnezzar reminds them, fellas, if you don't bow down, then the consequences are you'd be cast into the fiery furnace. Do you remember this from your Sunday school day? and what was their response? whether we live or whether we die is of little consequence. We will not bow our knees to an idol of gold. Let me tell you something. It is holding and cleaving and believing upon the true and living word of God that makes the difference whether or not we are going to live according to and up to the potential that Christ has given each and every one of us. Yes, Brother Richard, this this is a wonderful example of Jesus being in the desert, but it doesn't apply to me. Let me tell you something. In Luke's gospel, we read Jesus is speaking to the father. He says, you love them even as you have loved me. What does that mean? Think about it. If you hear nothing else today, then hear that. You love them, speaking about us, even as God has loved Jesus, His own Son. So by extension, the promise that is given here today to Jesus, the the proclamation that you are my beloved Son, also extends to each and every one of you who have accepted Christ into your heart. You are his child. You are his beloved son. You are his beloved daughter. And in him, you are well pleased. Oh, well, he is well pleased. In you. <laughs> Flip it around there. What is the point? The point is, faith is tough. And having faith can be difficult and there are times when the tempter comes to us and the path that he offers might look good but we need to have enough of the word in our heart to understand that behind every trap there is a trapper behind every lie there is a liar Hold to the living word, hold to the promise of God. Time goes so fast. Satan wants to separate you by guilt. I don't feel like I deserve the promises of God. I have sin in my life, Jesus was perfect. I am not like Jesus, I cannot be perfect. Satan wishes to separate you by anger. Anger often comes in hurt feelings. We at Christians, as Christians, we have a tendency to want to step on our brothers' and sisters' toes. Don't let an offense with your brother separate you from the kingdom of God. We need each other. In this particular trial, Jesus was by himself, but in another trial that Jesus faced, When he was in the garden of Gethsemane, when he sweat as if it were great drops of blood, he called upon those who were around about him. He called for his disciples to come with him and to watch and to pray. We need each other. We need the encouragement that the other one brings. We need those able bodies, those people who are willing to pray, those people who are willing to commit to help lift the burdens, to lighten the load for those who are under struggle. Burdens shared are are burdens divided. Joy shared is joy multiplied. We need each other. Satan wants to separate us by feelings of inadequacy. Satan wants to separate us by the tempter's lure. Let me tell you one more little story and then, then I want to wrap it up. I heard a man speak a number of years ago by the name of Saville Phillips. And Seville worked for a company called uh, Bible Translators, and, and they were employed in taking the Word of God and translating it into other untranslated uh, languages, developing new languages or new translations of the, of the Bible. And Seville had a motor and, and, and the way that he came into this motorhome was kind of a miracle in and of itself. But they were vacationing, and as I remember, it was someplace out west. And they, they were having a big time the family, him, his wife, two children. And it came time to leave the campground where the motorhome was, and so there's always that obligatory task of emptying the, the holding tank on the motorhome. And those of you that know about motorhomes know that that's not pleasant and not sanitary. Everything that gets flushed down goes into the tank, and and usually they have a a pit or a place to where you can empty that tank before you go on your way. So that's where they were at. They were at the little area that's set up to do that. He's very much engaged in how do you get this hose and that line changed, and how do you make this thing happen? And his boys are out there playing and having a big time until all of a sudden over in the corner where all this stuff went there was a crew that had been working there and they would left a section of that uncovered and one of the little boys fell off into that and he fell into a depth that was greater than, than, than his waist it was up to his chest but he had been totally totally immersed in this Seville said when I looked down at him my son was crying and he was holding up both hands and he was saying daddy saved me daddy help me daddy come to me And he said, I I looked down at my son and he said, my heart was just moved with compassion for him. He said, all I wanted to do was just get him out of that stench, get him out of that filth. I wanted to get him back to me so desperately, so desperately bad. And he said, I reached down my hand and I took hold of my son and I plucked him from that mire. And he said, we began to wash him and clean him and bathe him. And his clothes were so soiled and so beyond use that we just threw them away. But he said, we cleaned it out of his ears and we washed it out of his eyes and we cleaned it from his mouth and we cleaned it out of his nostrils and we scoured and scrubbed his whole body. And you know what I took away from that story, and that is if an earthly father loves his earthly son so much that he's not willing to leave him in the pit, he's not willing to walk away from him when he is in such an unpresentable, unsanitary, unperfect state, then God is not done with us yet either. We may not be happy on the pit in which we have fallen. We not not be happy with the way that we smell. We might not be happy with the way that we look. But let me tell you, we serve a father who says, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter and I am pleased in you. And he will not walk away from you. When you hold up your hand and say, reach me, Jesus. Help me out of this pit. Take me from this mire. He will cleanse you. He will wash you in a fountain that is filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilted states. Children, God loves you this morning, and a love you can hardly comprehend, and a love that lasts forever. Reach up your hand. Allow Him to pluck you from the mire in which you're in. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Jesus, for your word. We thank you for all that you do for us. Guide us, God. Direct us according to your will, according to your purpose. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If anybody would like prayer this morning, then feel free to come and... uh, If there are none, then let's enjoy the day. God bless you.
0: today.